Believe nothing you hear and only one half that you see. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of Eyewitness Accounts. We have a Halloween special based off of fictional stories sure to give you goosebumps for this spooky season. So hang tight and turn the lights out if you dare. This story happened when I was about 13 years old. It was a hot summer afternoon and my buddy and I were bored and looking for something to do. For the purposes of the story, I will refer to my friend as Hank. Hank's older brother heard us talking about how bored we were and suggested that we go down to the river bottoms and check out the area where the devil worshippers hung out, just to creep ourselves out. I had heard my older brother talk about some blood called or devil worshippers hanging around the river bottoms as well, so when Hank's older brother mentioned this to us, my interest was piqued. Being young and stupid, Hank and I were always interested in things that were scary, especially if it involved local gossip, so we decided to go. It also helped to ease our fears knowing that it was still light outside and would remain light for a few more hours because it was it was the summertime. According to Hank's older brother, the devil worshippers only came out at night, so we should be safe, I told Hank. At the time, the town that I lived in was small, and the river bottoms only had a few isolated houses that were separated by several acres of farmland, so there wasn't really a lot down there, and my expectations for finding anything were interestingly low. As Hank and I made our way down the road that led to the hill nicknamed Devil's Curve, we talked lightly about the things that our older brothers had said about the devil worshippers. We both believed that a bunch of weirdos probably went and did drugs and some other stuff, but neither of us thought that animal or human sacrifice were some of the events that occurred down there. Our plan was to walk down Devil's Curb, investigate a few areas in the river bottoms, and then return home before it got dark. However, we were not prepared for the things that we would see. As we approached Devil's Curb, Hank and I noticed a foul stench in the air. It smelled like something rotting. It kind of reminded me of the smell of a dead deer when I would go deer hunting. It wasn't incredibly potent and was common for deer to come down from the nearby mountains and become roadkill. So the smell of dead deer did not seem too out of place. For the sake of the story, it's important that I give you a brief physical layout description of Devil's Curb. It is a paved road with a switchback hill that if you start at the top, you'll find yourself going straight down in a southern direction, and then tightly turning into a westward direction. Then, after traveling about 30 feet, you'll make another tight turn that faces you in an southeasterly direction and you'll go another 15 feet until you're in the river bottoms. Now that you have that imagery, I will continue. Hank and I found the source of the smell, which indeed was a dead deer laying off the side of the road before the first switchback that turns you toward the west. Again, this would normally not be of any concern. However, the deer had a thick rope around its neck. It had been gutted and its legs were missing. At first, I just thought it was some unethical hunters, and it may have been, but then Hank and I noticed all of the other dead animals surrounding the area. A dead raccoon, several dead squirrels, a few dead cats, and what looked to be the rotting corpse of a very large dog. That one upset me the most. There were things that were out of place, such as an old record player and blood-stained pulpit. Several knives and hatchets and a few pestles and mortars lying around. This should have been enough warning for us to go back home, but again, 
We were young and stupid, so we didn't. Instead, we kept to our plan and continued down Devil's Curb to the west. As we descended, the hair on my back and my neck was standing up and I was anxious to know what else we would find. Before the road switched back to the southeastern direction that led to the river bottoms, Hank and I walked off the road and into a small secluded section that overlooked most of the farmland in the river bottoms to the east, south, and west of us. There was a 20-foot ascending cliff to our backs that rose up to the same elevation before you begin walking down Devil's Curb. Again, there was a serious stench in the air that reminded both of us of rotting flesh. However, This time, the smell was overwhelming and made both of us nauseous to the point that we were dizzy and nearly vomited. However, what caused us the most horror was what we found lying at our feet. There were several tarps rolled up hot dog style with something rolled up inside them. This was undoubtedly where the source of the smell was coming from. After discovering the tarps, Hank and I immediately looked at each other. Hank's face was pale, and I saw absolute terror on his face. I began to feel like someone was watching us, and when I told Hank, he nodded his head frantically and loudly whispered, I know, I felt it too. Before either of us discussed this matter anymore, or even thought about doing something asinine like opening up the tarps to peer inside, I began sprinting back up Devil's Curb with Hank following closely at my heels. Once we reached the top of the hill, I continued dashing in the direction of home. I heard Hank screaming after me, telling me to stop. So I slowed down, but I was afraid to turn around and see what what was the matter. That's when Hank grabbed my shoulder and forced me to turn around. Look over there, Hank shrilled, pointing next to the top of Devil's Curb. When I looked in that direction, I saw what Hank was pointing at. Standing about a football field length away from us was a woman in a white wedding dress, staring directly at us. Again, there were no houses anywhere nearby, no cars, and no streets. Other than the one that Hank and I were standing on, no explanation as to why a woman would be standing in the middle of nowhere wearing a wedding dress alone. However, the worst part is that she was standing and looking over that 20-foot cliff, exactly where Hank and I were when we saw the tarps. I knew at that moment that she had been watching us, but for how long? And why? And what was she doing? Why was she there? We were close enough to her that we could see that her stare was fixed on us, but we were too far away to determine any facial features or if she was smiling or glaring. We stopped running and continued to walk back home, suspiciously looking over our shoulders every few seconds to see if she was still there. She was, and she was staring at us until we were out of view. The nausea and dizziness Hank and I felt gradually went away until we returned to his house. We both agreed not to tell our parents for fear of getting in trouble. That night, I kept dreaming of going to Devil's Curb and looking around the area. I just couldn't seem to get it out of my head. It was a little past 3 a.m. when I was awakened by something. It wasn't a noise. I just felt like someone was close by and I had always been a light sleeper. When I looked down at the foot of my bed and saw her, the lady in the wedding dress, she was hovering or levitating and once again, my blinds were open so the full moon shone in my room, lighting it up enough for me to see her, except I couldn't see her face. I could only tell that she was glaring or scowling at me. I wasn't quite sure. Maybe she was mad that I had been at Devil's Curb and found something that I shouldn't have. Maybe she just hated punk teenage boys. Or maybe, I have no idea. All I know is that as she levitated at the foot of my bed, I couldn't move. 
The fear was so powerful that I thought that I would pass out or die. I decided to close my eyes and somehow I was able to throw the sheets over my head. I was hoping that I would fall asleep and that she would leave me alone. But all I could envision was her staring at me, peering deep into my soul with a menacing and hateful expression. It felt like an eternity, but eventually daylight crept in through my window as the sun began to rise just a little before 6 a.m. I slowly pulled the sheets from over my head, half expecting her to still be there, but she wasn't. As I looked around, there was no one in my room. I never saw the lady in the white wedding dress again, and I hope that I never do. I've told a few people about this experience and nobody can give me a good explanation as to why she would be standing where she was, alone and in a white wedding dress. I don't know if she had any sinister intentions, but I'm glad that nothing bad happened to Hank or me. I also don't know if it was just a bad dream when I saw her levitating at the foot of my bed or if it really happened. Either way, I learned that it's best that you stay away from things that are evil, even if you're young and stupid. New beginnings, they say as I move out of my brand new beautiful three-bedroom house and into an old two-bed farmhouse just outside of town. Being surrounded by all this nature will be good for the kids after the tragedy of losing their dad, and this fresh start will be good for all of us, even me. The idea of being surrounded with these huge, dark, green pine trees and no store for miles freaks me out a little bit, but at the same time gives me a weird sense of peace. My two kids, Sarah, who is six, and Henry, ten, run around the halls giggling while I walk through room by room making note of all the things that need to be fixed. The kitchen sink drips, the wallpaper is peeling in pretty much every single room. As I look out the window, I notice Henry at the edge of the tree line just staring into the woods. What is he looking at? I wonder. He turns around and runs back inside. That night, as we were all at the dinner table, I asked him, Did you find something in the woods? No, I was just looking. He brushed it off, but I could tell there was more. Weeks went by where Sarah would sit in the living room coloring, and I would go room to room peeling off wallpapers off of the walls. Henry would spend hours and hours outside throwing sticks and howling, and every time I would ask him what he was doing, he would just say that he was playing with his dog. This was weird because there was never anything there, but I figured, uh, no big deal, he's just a kid playing. One evening, I was working on the wallpaper again, and in the living room this time, when I tore the layer off, I noticed there was red paint on the other side. It was so odd, so I just kept peeling, and my heart dropped as I noticed red symbols appearing on the wall. Layer and layer would come off. I started peeling faster and faster, ripping off the wall like a lunatic, and when I took a step back, I realized there was these huge red painted symbols all over the wall, marking things I've never seen before. An upside down cross, sulfur crosses, and even the Seagal of Lucifer. My heart was beating so fast I tried to catch my breath. I didn't know what to do. This looks awful. I've seen enough horror movies to know this will never be good, but I just thought to myself, you know, this is probably just stupid teenagers, you know, painted this on as a joke and obviously they couldn't get the paint off, so you know, they just put wallpaper over it. I'll just get some paint and paint it over myself. That night after I put the kids to bed, I swear I could smell the smell of a wet dog as I walked through the kitchen. 
It was so strong that I decided to open the front door and to check to see if the neighbor's dog had made it down to our place somehow. But when I opened the door, there was nothing but pitch black and whistling through the trees. Oof, the smell was almost stronger outside, so I slammed the door, locked it, and headed for bed. But as I turned out the lights in my bedroom, I heard something at my window. Goosebumps started to form on my arm as my thoughts raced. Oh, a woman alone with her two kids in the middle of nowhere? Great, I'm about to be my own horror movie. But as I peered out the window, it was nothing but a rogue branch. Ah, oh, phew, I thought to myself. But then I noticed something odd coming from the tree line. It looked like someone had two doll flashlights with red lights pointed at the house. But as I looked closer, I noticed the lights start to blink. I think I'm losing my mind and I quickly close the curtains and head off to bed. The next morning as I feed the kids breakfast, Sarah tells me that she couldn't sleep because she heard a dog barking all night. I assured her that it was just the neighbor's dog. And Henry screams out of nowhere and starts to howl like a wolf. What are you doing, I ask, but he just keeps going. Can you please stop that? He gets mad at me and stomps off and leaves the house to play outside. Henry's being weird, Sarah says, and I'm not sure how to answer this, so I just smile at her and tell her to finish up. She's not wrong. Henry has been acting so strange lately and uh, must be from the trauma of losing his father. Things start to get more weird one night as I put the kids to bed. I go to the living room to watch TV and I start to hear whining. And then the lights in the house just dim and then quickly go back to normal. God, this house is so old. But the whining gets louder and louder. So I turn off the TV to check if it's my show and I hear growling coming from outside. I start to get scared and my eyes widen as I decide to slowly get off the couch and look outside. The growling became lower and deeper and my breath quickened as my hands became sweatier and sweatier. I approached the window, slowly creeping up, when I heard the floorboard creak. He just wants to come inside, mommy. My heart dropped and I jumped so far in the air it startled me. Henry just came out of nowhere. Aren't you supposed to be in bed, honey? He needs to be let in. I glance out the window and back to my son. What? Who needs to be let in? My dog. Go back to bed, honey. He turns back and heads down the hallway. My God, what the heck was that? I quickly go to the front door, lock it, and head for my bedroom full speed. I know I am the mom, but I pulled the covers over my head and I slept with the lights on that night. The next evening, we came home from the town fair and Sarah had won this big blue teddy bear and Henry a fidget spinner. Sarah was asleep so I briefly left her in the car while I unlocked the door for Henry. And As I went back to the car, I left the front door open so it was easier to carry her in. When out of the corner of my eye, I saw Henry making a gesture as if for a dog like Come here, boy. I turn and see him smiling and walking into the house. I've had enough of this imaginary dog. I put Sarah to her bed and went to confront him. I've had enough of this dog. He is not real and I don't want you pretending anymore. Don't worry, mom. He's not gonna wake us up again. I invited him into the house. You did what? It's like the whole world stopped and something about those words made me cold to the touch. I didn't know what to say. No, no, you're not playing with him anymore. We don't have a dog and neither do you. He just silently got off the couch and walked to his room. <sighs> sat down and decided to just put a movie on. I was about halfway in when the TV started to glitch. What? I hit pause and then play and that seemed to fix the problem. Then I started to notice a wet dog smell again. 
but this time it was coming from inside the house. Ooh. The TV started to glitch and fully turn into static. Just then I felt a whoosh of cold air followed by the potent smell. BAM! The sound of a door slamming shut and then screaming. I got off the couch so fast and I ran to my son's room. He was screaming at the top of his lungs. I could hear him banging around the room. I tried to open the door but it was stuck. I was pushing and smacking the door with all my might but it just wouldn't budge. Bad dog, bad dog, he was screaming. I'm coming, baby, I'm coming, I screamed back, trying again and again. I burst into full panic. My baby's in there and I can't get the door open. Just then, a white light appeared from under the door. It was so bright, like nothing I'd ever seen before. I knew it wasn't from this world. A rush of peace and calm came over me and then creaked. The door opened and Henry came out with some scratches and bite marks on his body. I grabbed him and I hugged him so tight and he said to me, It's okay, mommy. Daddy took the dog with him. I burst into tears. He'll always protect us. That night, we all slept together. And in the morning when I went to the living room, I noticed that the symbols that I hadn't had time to paint over yet had just vanished. And from then on, Henry never saw that dog again. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's Halloween special on Eyewitness Accounts. The Spirit of Devil's Curb, narrated by Sydney Bonin, written by Creepypasta. Imaginary Dog, narrated by Piper Stoffer, and written by Piper Stoffer. If you or anyone else you know has a paranormal experience, feel free to email us at podcasteyewitness at gmail.com or DM us on Instagram. Make sure to check out our Patreon. There is another Halloween special on there for you guys. That is patreon.com slash piperstoffer. Scoring by Paul Dawson.